Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Mike Simonson, founder of Altos Research, to talk about inventory, home prices, and what he sees in the data for 2024. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be back, Sarah. Great to have you on. So you have been doing some amazing podcasting of your own, talking about what you're looking forward to, um, kind of an early 2024 look at what you what you think's happening. And so I would love to dive into some of these topics on inventory, on what you've written about, you know, maybe we're turning a corner. So give us your overview. The overview is, you know, inventory was growing very late into this year. Uh, it's November and just now starting to top out. Uh, and, and normally inventory would, ma- would peak maybe in August or September and tick down. And that was really a function of we had rising mortgage rates in September and October. And that puts a damper on buyers and therefore homes sit on the market and inventory builds. And we really had that. It was like really notable this, this year. It was notable last year at this time. Um, and so that was, uh, that was, has been the, uh, the, the, the trend of the fall. And now as we're looking towards the spring, the question is, does it continue and what happens next? And, and I think there are two rules of thumb that we can use for thinking about the 2024 housing market. The first one is that consumers are more sensitive to changes in mortgage rates than to the absolute level of rates themselves. And what that means is what we saw in September and October was rates went from six and a half to suddenly eight. It was a big change in a short period of time. And that change put the damper on on the market. And and the opposite was true at the beginning of the year. Last year, November, rates went from their seven and a half peak down to six by the first quarter. And suddenly the first quarter had more buyers and inventory falling and than than we expected. And so it was that the change in rates is um is what we want to pay attention to. So now looking at 2024, if rates go to eight, over eight or you know nine who knows where you know if they go higher uh that will put a big damper on buyers and inventory would build and prices would adjust down if rates go from say where they are in the you know seven low seven to seven and a half right now if they go under seven that or six and a half that will be a, a a spur for demand even though things are more expensive than they were two years ago even though you know, affordability is less. Consumers are, they, they're not shopping with 3% rates. Now they're shopping with 8% in mind. So 7% seems, uh, will actually spur demand. So the changes in rates more than the absolute levels of rates is one rule of thumb that I'm using for, uh, for thinking about 2024. The other rule of thumb is that higher rates leads to greater inventory and lower rates leads to less inventory. And that's actually counterintuitive from what a lot of people sort of expect. 
Um, and a lot of folks think that, well, once rates finally fall, we'll have inventory build and people will be able to buy and sell houses again. Um, but what actually is true in the data is that transaction volume picks up when rates fall, but the available inventory, the supply for buyers to choose from falls because we're the lower rate spurs demand more than it spurs supply. So actually the, the rate of inventory, the total amount of homes on the market falls. So those are two rules of thumb to keep in mind. Uh, for 2024. So that last one, you know, I know that you agree with uh, Logan Motoshami on the mortgage rate lockdown for that very reason, which is, it's not that it doesn't spur more transactions when when rates go lower. It's that the demand outstrips the supply. So yes, more houses will come on the market, but they'll just get snatched up faster. And so then the net net is you have less houses. You have less, you have fewer, that's right. You have fewer homes on the market. You have lower inventory, you have greater buyer competition. Um, and, and right. So it is, uh, you know, the, it's not that mortgage rate lockdown is not that higher rates created the lockdown. It's that a, a decade of low rates created that, that lockdown, right? So, um, and so the, the further we go low again, the more, more demand we create. So what, um, when you're looking at the data this year, and we've talked about inventory and, um, you know, uh, we had a story that talked about there were only 59 houses added to uh, the weekly inventory, uh, right? And obviously, we know that that's, you know, that that's just the number of houses that get on that, you know, don't get bought right away or whatever. But from your perspective, you know, what is the most surprising thing about inventory right now? Well, it's the the... Surprising thing is that it, inventory has not dropped yet. And there's actually a, getting some preliminary data for this week. And it's, you know, this is the week before Thanksgiving and we don't even see, you know, like it's going to be flat again this week. Uh, and, and not a dip in inventory. So that's surprising. And that's really an indicator of like we have cooled off demand. Like with with rates with that le- that last change of rates from six and a half to eight percent really slowed down demand, um, and so things uh, are building. But um, so like that's the no- most notable trend this year. And and what's what could happen? Uh, by the way, this week we will have well have more of homes on the market than we did last year at this time. So it'll be back above. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you have year over year gains. And, and so that is, um, like undeniable, uh, the affordability impact to buyers that we're seeing right now. Yeah, no, that I think it's interesting your perspective because I'm like, there's only 59 homes for sale. And you're like, okay, but it's flat. It's at least it's not dropping and we're actually over last year. So I think it's that perspective that's so helpful. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have talked about how it could be that we are at the, the, the bottom of the housing market recession. And there's two ways to think about, you know, a recession in housing or, or, um, the housing market. There's, there's home prices that can, can drop and there's the total number of transactions. Consumers care about their prices. The industry cares about the number of transactions. And what we've had this year was the number of transactions fell, but the, the prices did not fall. They fell a little bit off the peak for the, in the first few months of the year. And then they recovered, uh, because rates fell and demand picked up. 
and that which was a total surprise. I did not see that coming, but it, but it, um, but that's what happened. And uh, so, you know, <clears throat> we are at this point with this ultra, ultra few homes for sale. Each week, there are very few new listings coming to market. And therefore, not all, we're, we're faced not only with weak demand, but also a supply restriction in the market. So the total number of transactions is restricted by the number, by the, by the supply. And, and if we had more homes on the market, there would be more transactions. Um, and so my hypothesis right now is that because consumers are more home buyers and sellers are more more sensitive to changes in rates than to the absolute levels of rates that that home sellers have uh were were artificially restricted by the changes the uncertainty and the changes in rates in the last year and a half almost two years now and uh and that now we are if we're settling in even if we're settling into say seven percent if we, as long as we're not moving to nine, then we have this stability. And so that stability is actually sort of bullish for the transaction volume. So, because, you know, the, the change is we're, we're not changing. And, and so that implies that, uh, we would start to see slightly more new listings each week, which in fact we are. So we're now at a point where we're getting more new listings each week than we were last year at this time. Uh, we've had fewer all year long. And so now like we're starting to see slightly more new listings, which means slightly more transactions will be able to happen uh, in the, the coming months. So my, the hypothesis right now is that that we are maybe right now at the very low point in the total number of sales that happen in a given week. I love the idea of the fact that we've found the bottom, we're turning the corner, however you want to say it. I love the idea that like things look brighter ahead for transaction volume, right? And I do think it's that the volatility is what we've talked about for a year and a half, where that's that's the thing that gets you. If you even if you said eight, which no one wants eight, right? But even if you said eight and it had duration, people can plan around that. People can be like, yep. okay, this is the new normal. And six months from now, it's been, it's been eight. So, okay, I'm planning. And also, you know, you know, the lenders know when to rate lock you and it's all a known quantity. It's the fact that nothing has been with duration that has just been so wild. Right. And I, I think absolutely. And, and what's fascinating is, you know, last year in say September, we saw a threshold of five and a half. I said below five and a half, we were getting action above five and a half. It, the market was slowing, but really that was because that had been the latest change, right? And so then it went from five and a half to seven and a half. And all of a sudden there's a new threshold as long as it's not changing. Now there is obviously a affordability challenges and it's not going to be a strong market. And, you know, like, but, but, uh, assuming that we don't have, we, we, we lose, volatility in that, in mortgage rates, then I anticipate that that means that probably right now is the the low point of the number of transactions. Now, that being said, we're still going to get a bunch of months of really, you know, low sales numbers, and it's still going to sound really lousy, um, even though we can maybe start to see. And it's really the early, early weeks of that, of that that call. So there could be down weeks and, and, you know, and, and if rates bump over eight again or eight and a half, like 
I'm going to deny I ever had this conversation. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, you are on record now that if they go over that, all bets are off, which I understand. So let's talk, you know, you talked about affordability and I do want to talk about home prices, right? So last time I had you on, which was in the spring, um, we talked about which specific markets we were seeing and specifically like some of those pandemic fueled markets like Austin and Boise and Phoenix and like what was happening there because we're, we've been talking about it from a national level, but I know you guys have granular data, which is so valuable and interesting to our audience. So let's get down into some of that granular stuff. You know, uh, as far as like pandemic markets, what do we see? Well, what was a real surprise this year is the pandemic markets, the boom markets that that really boomed during the pandemic, uh, they slowed, obviously slowed the most quickly last year. Uh, and it was really the, you know, the the Southwest markets, the Western U.S. markets, um, everything from Austin and, you know, and Phoenix and Salt Lake and Denver and Boise, like those were the ones that boomed biggest and those were the ones that that crashed hardest. And crashed means we could watch the percentage of homes on the market not getting offers and taking price cuts, we watch those skyrocket. And if we use that price cuts as a metric, you know, houses on the market now, it doesn't get an offer, it does a price cut in December, it gets an offer in January, that closes in February. You can use that price cuts right now as a leading indicator for where home prices are heading in, uh, you know, where they will close in the spring. Um, and, couple things we know right now. Nationally, last year, 43% of the homes on the market had had price cuts right at this point. Right now, it's 39%. So it's less abrupt of a change than we had last fall for pricing. Um, it and, uh, and last year, the markets like Austin and Denver and Salt Lake and Phoenix had price reductions in the 60% range, 60% of the homes on the market taking price cuts. And most of what's fascinating is that most of those markets recovered very well this spring when rates did their down dip. It totally surprised me, uh, especially especially places like Phoenix and Las Vegas, that, that like super surprising. Um, the one that didn't recover was Austin. Uh, didn't recover nearly as quickly and is Austin leads the country in of big markets in price reductions. Now, uh, it is, uh, has the, has year over year price declines where most of the country does not, uh, have price declines. Um, and in like, even in like Phoenix, um, you know, when prices adjusted down, folks, uh, found affordability points for investment or whatever, and they put a floor on prices in Phoenix. But that didn't happen as much in Austin. And I think in Austin, it's a, it's a, it's a probably a combination of, a, of factors like uh, high property taxes in Texas and uh, new construction and a bunch of other things. Uh, California immigration that maybe slowed way down uh, with higher rates, like those kind of uh, functions, like have driven. 
a, a bigger boom and bust cycle in Austin than the rest of the country. So that was, I think, a really notable local market this year. That is a, a notable market. It's it's one I'm really familiar with. I I went to school near Austin. I've had you know relatives in Austin forever. I love Austin, but I understand you know some of this boom and bust cycle with that because things went up so crazy, especially for a Texas market. We are not used to that. Right. You know? Yes. Exactly. Texas generally has greater inventory. Uh, more turnover so that the selection is easier for buyers so that there is um, like a health, like the high property taxes in Texas lead to actually a healthier, healthier prop, uh, resale market. Uh, it's, it's more expensive to hold in hold my real estate. So I don't hold as much. So I resell it. And so therefore as a, as a new buyer, I have more options where in California, your property taxes never go up. And so your property taxes are ultra low and the longer you hold, the better a deal it is to keep holding. And so California has chronic shortage of inventory. That is a great point. Yes. And we, you know, in Texas, they'll just keep building on every cow pasture that there is. I, I've all my homes for the last ten years have been former cow pastures, so I, I speak uh, with authority <laughs> on that. Um, what are some markets in the in the Northeast doing? Like, where do we what do we see happening there? So many of the central and the Northeast markets are still basically at the pandemic lows of available inventory. Uh, they're maybe just above. They are. Um, Almost none of those are um, experienced the big surge of inventory that that we saw in the West and the South and West this uh, it, over the last eighteen months. Um, and I think that might be an affordability um, metric. You know, so you know that 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 it's it is you know some of those, especially the Midwest markets, are more likely to have be affordable to the you know, more, a broader swath of the population. Um, I think it's also a reflection of immigration pattern, migration patterns, where uh, those were mostly outbound migration markets, where the Western markets are inbound. And if that stops, then that means the demand stays in the central and the Northeast and, and, and is relatively less in, in the boom markets. So, um, I could imagine that, and I don't have data on migration per se, but I could imagine that that's what's in play here. Uh, so that there aren't, um, like if that, like those people are now not leaving Cleveland and buying in Phoenix, they're staying in Cleveland and buying in Cleveland. And so you end up with, uh, less inventory, uh, in Cleveland and more inventory in Phoenix. So let's talk about home prices in in uh, the Northeast. What does what do those look like? So as a result, most of those markets have year over year price increases. They're all they're small, uh, you know, a couple percent or three to five percent. Some of them uh, are bigger, they but not but not big. There's no big home price gains anywhere. There's no like everywhere feels the affordability crunch, and everywhere feels less uh, demand. It's just a question of, is that met with less supply and, and create a balance? And what we've really done is, is, you know, the surprising thing that happened uh, over, you know, last year was that in order to get a big price correction, you need increased supply and, and decreased demand. You need both of those sides, but we've really had decreased on both of them that's kept a little balance. It's kept the floor on pricing. Uh, and you know, like the, the big scares, the big consumer scares are the, the, the casual observer is, uh, uh, the housing market is like, 
what if home prices crash? And right, if, if they're unaffordable, like, you know, what if they're going to crash and when are they going to crash? And that's a, a common question and a common assumption that they must crash. Um, but of course, we've, we've watched them not crash. And I think there's an interesting question to say, like the crisis we face may not be a housing price crash, but the crisis we face is what if they don't? What if they stay unaffordable? And especially to first time buyers and like there's a there's a different housing market crisis than most of the sort of zeitgeist talks about. I think that is such an excellent point because um, you you don't see it in the data. We don't see it in the data like we don't see that there's some huge crash crash coming now in certain markets, you know, prices have come down, but nationally overall no i i met uh, the national association of realtors uh, conference this week and was talking i've been talking to lots of realtors last night i got to talk to somebody who's a mississippi realtor and i was like you know what's your market like what's going on and he was like just like everyone everything else he said of course our price point is different he said but inventory is super low there's hardly anything to choose from he said so prices are are remaining high for them right he's like you know if you looked at what you could afford in mississippi versus california totally different but it was just, it's amazing how pervasive the unaffordability is. Yeah. And and I think it's a real risk of long-term unaffordability. Um, you know, and 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 then we have real implications about, you know, first-time home buyers and young people being able to 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 buy their homes. Um, I think that's uh it's a fascinating risk uh that I think it's undercovered. Is there any, um, you know, in we saw that migration, we know that some of that's stopped from, you know, remote workers or whatever. But is there when you when you think about like, here's still a great deal, here's a market where you can get a great deal in the country, where would you expect to find that? Wow, uh, a great deal. So um, let's think about that. There are some uh, secondary markets that are where you're seeing things like migration out of Texas and out of Florida into, uh, you know, like the South Carolina markets or, you know, some of those. So I think there is some uh, long-term opportunity in some of those places that, that could be really like, especially for investors who are starting to think that direction Um, where, where, you know, people are now getting priced out of Florida. And where do they go? Um, so, so there's some interesting stuff there. Um, and then there may be some, you know, long-term cycle in some of the Rust Belt cities where you have opportunity for land and you have opportunity for interesting buildings and, and investment opportunities because the cap rates are so good on some of those. Like the, they're, they're in some of those, um, you know, that may, Maybe there's a shift. Maybe we have a shift back. I don't, um, you know, uh, you know, migration wise, if you, when people are priced out of California and Florida and Texas and Arizona and Colorado, do they go, well, maybe I'm going to tolerate some snow and <laughs> so I can have a home. It's a great point. Yeah. Or uh, it within Texas, like, I think it's like, oh, I'm going to tolerate some um, more rural areas that are desert deserty you know you can get you can get right. some good deals out there but there's kind of a reason why some in some places that's right well and, and i think it's atlanta where they say um drive till you qualify 
and you can the further out you go, now you can you can get your uh, the further and and maybe you know the more remote work world we have, the more uh, like that. There's no more commute if there's you know that that will continue to spread the, the those the the exurbs out uh, you know spread affordability out into the exurbs. So as we uh, look at 2024, when do you have do you have a date where you're like, hey, this is when I always do my uh, forecast, my official 2024 forecast, and if so, can I have you back on after that date? Well, uh, sure. So well, I we don't do as a as a company we don't I don't do. Forecast. I don't say we forecast four percent home price increases, but I will. I will look at the leading indicators that we can see in the data right now. And because we at Alto study every home for sale in the country every week, the homes, the active market is rich with signal about that. That just looking at the traditional data of like sales prices and. Uh, number of sales that like it, it, that signal's not in that data. And so, for example, looking at price reductions now tells us about where sales will complete in the first quarter. So, uh, so we will review, we do review all of those leading indicators. And I actually were hosting a webinar. It's, uh, Thursday the 16th. So probably after this, uh, this will air after, after we, uh, we we do that webinar, but you can find it on the Altos YouTube channel where we will talk about the uh, we'll talk about all that we can see for the next uh, the coming year. And so you know we see home prices. There, there's there's obviously no upward pressure on home prices. Um, and my my rule for consumers being more more sensitive to uh, changes in rates than to the absolute levels of rates that very much dictates where the the changes of home prices for the year. And uh, if you look at like I know Zillow a few months ago came out with their home price forecast for 2024, and they said the market was going to be up like six percent. Home prices would be up six percent, and and at the time I thought that has to be assuming that mortgage rates fall into the fives. Uh, then mortgage rates promptly went to eight after they issued that. And now Zillow is uh, forecasting negative, uh, just a negative like tenth of a percent, like bare, flat to down. And so now they're, they are assuming rates at eight percent. And so, you know, I don't have an ability to for, to predict mortgage rates. Um, and so, but, but what I can say is that we can see that sensitivity. Uh, in the change. And so the, the, the data right now shows us that if rates fall, we have buyers, more buyers and sellers, inventory will fall and that will put upward press pressure on pricing. If rates go up from here, buyers are perfectly willing to not buy and that will put downward pressure on pricing. So that's how I would look at the forecast for home prices in the next year. On inventory, I generally expect us to build inventory slightly each year with rates in the sevens in this range. Um, we had a decade, it took us a decade to get to the record low levels of, of inventory. And that was a decade of basically falling rates every year. And, and uh, now it will take multiple years for that resale inventory to build back up because holding costs for those homes are higher. When I move, I need to sell one to finance the next one. When rates are at 3%, 
I can hold both of them. And so like a few, a bunch of years of that. So I generally expect inventory to be building a little bit each year. Um, at the beginning of this year, I expected inventory to build much more than it did this year. My, my expectation included both the, the rate environment, but also that we, you know, would see recession. It was a year ago, it was foregone conclusion, you know, we're going to have a recession this year and it didn't happen. And so, you know, do I build those into my guesses for next year too? I don't forecast recessions either. So, you know, if they, if we see recession, we, you know, you could see inventory build. Uh, most of the inventory build from recession is lagging by a, at least a year. Like the, if you lose your job and you can't pay your mortgage, the, 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 the real distressed inventory is really a year out, uh, uh, from the, from the time the job losses start. Um, and so that would be 2025 inventory. 2024 could get some though. You know, we feel notable slowing in the economy. You feel notable demand weakening. You, you could imagine that, that we see again, like build an inventory there. But because we don't have build an inventory in the, you know, the much of the country, the central and the Northeast, like we talked about, there isn't any signal in the data for a flood of inventory. And people have asked me, if rates fall, uh, wouldn't that, couldn't that create a cycle where like a, a scenario where, where suddenly there's a bunch of sellers who've been waiting and they jump at it because rates fell because now they're not locked in. I don't see evidence for that playing out at all. Um, and, and so I think it's unlikely that we would have a, a scenario of lowering rate, dropping rates and spiking inventory. I don't see that scenario playing out at all, but people ask me about it uh, a lot. Well, and this is why I lost the mortgage rate lockdown uh, discussion because of your data and uh, and what <laughs> Logan thought. So really appreciate you sharing all of that with us, especially, you know, giving us a, a peek into what you think for 2024. I will definitely have you back on. But Mike, thank you so much. Sarah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.